you know, wholeness is found in knowing him. Completeness is found in knowing him. Why? Because we've all been created to know him. We've all been created to be in the most intimate relationship with him. An intimacy so great that he even created a model of it called marriage that we would live out here on earth. But marriage isn't just for me and you. In its completion, marriage is a typology to point us towards the most intimate relationship known to mankind, which is a marriage with him. And so often we can just look at marriage as just being a final thing between a man and a woman and not realise that it was always and always has been a picture towards where the church is going to marry the groom. That's why he wants you to know him. He wants you to get to know him because the reality is we're only here for 80, 90 years maybe and then physically this life ends but we know that we continue to live. We know that we live forever. We don't die. When we die, the Bible teaches us that. And so we have a whole eternity to spend with this person called Jesus Christ, this person called Jehovah, this God. And he invites us to partake with him, to be in the most intimate relationship known to mankind. And it's hard for us to get our head around that. It's hard for men to fathom that you're going to be a bride. I think we'd look, make a good-looking bride, men. Some of us might have to shave more than others. But, but it's about knowing him, isn't it? Before it's ever about doing anything, it's about knowing him. Are we called to do things Absolutely we are. It's a central part of following him and knowing him. But not at the cost of not knowing him. Not at the cost of just doing a whole lot of things because as a follower of Christ, you know what, I've been caught up in a cycle where I think it's about doing a whole lot of things. Somehow trying to please him, not just living a life that pleases him. Does that make sense? You can be in a relationship where you're always trying to please find acceptance in the Father or you can live a life that just pleases Him because you're living because you know Him. And I just, you know, we, we've been in, as you've heard, we've been in a, an incredible, I wouldn't even call I just call it a gathering of the saints is what it was. And God rocks up and all things happen. You know, we saw people that had rods in their back, they disappeared. We've had people that couldn't run start running. People that couldn't bend, bending things. People that couldn't bend over start bending over. Just incredible. You know, I had my own knee that I had operated on five weeks ago on the last night. And it was Alistair and Simon and Mike Hewitt and just some of the people in Deb were just around me and we just prayed for my knee and I felt genuine power go into my knee where it just was stronger. I thought I can feel that. It's it's tangible. So I tried to do a bit of a run like this, you know, and I thought, wow, I couldn't do that before. God didn't heal it fully, but I felt tangible strength go into the knee. And we can 
what I want to do today is I want to paint the other part of the two-part picture because our time away was a lot about fulfilling the purpose that God has for us as the church, which is right, accurate and awesome. But what I want to paint today is we must do that from a sense of knowing him because you can literally get caught up in that stuff and all of a sudden he's here and you're a million miles away and now you're doing everything in your own strength. You're doing everything in your own human will and it's not what he calls us to do because everything we do must be birthed out of intimacy with the Father through knowing him and being obedient to that. So I want to ask us and start with a question. How many people like question and answer time? Everyone's going, no, just talk to me. Don't engage with me, just talk to me. But I want to ask us this question. What's the core central purpose of the church? What's the core or central purpose of the, of the church? If you were to define what our core purpose was, because we are the church as a community of people, if you had to define that in a number of words, how would you answer that question? Would it be this? It's to seek and save the lost. Would it be that? Would it be to pray, fast and worship? Would it be to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead? Would it be to feed the poor and look after the widows, those less fortunate than us? Would it be to disciple people into the fullness of Christ? Would it be obedience to God's guidelines? Would it be producing fruits of the Spirit like peace, patience and kindness? Would it be about loving others and serving others? Would it be about ruling and reigning with Christ now or in the future and in the future? If you look at that list, would you pick one or two as the core purpose? Would you pick four or five? Would you pick them all and say they're all the core purpose of us as God's people? Give them a little drum roll here. <laughs> I'm going to tell you today, none of those are the core purpose of the church. <gasps> Who agrees with me? Who disagrees with me? Who doesn't know? Who doesn't care? <laughs> I want to suggest you today, none of those are the core purpose of the church. They are the outworkings of knowing him. They are the product of knowing him intimately. But they are not the core purpose. What is the core purpose? To know our Father. Not just to know about him intellectually, but to know him intimately to have experienced him to sit stand, kneel lie down in his presence and commune with him where this incredible intimate relationship is being developed that's the core purpose of the church and from that place Everything flows. I just want to show you three photos of a person that 
very special to me. That's my dad. We lost him two years ago, but he's gone to be with God and I miss him very much. Uh, Harden up, Greg. Come on. But he was a great, great father. He was an incredible father. I can tell you things about my dad that you'd never know. I can tell you he had an amazing sense of humour. Incredible sense of humour. He had to be. He's from Liverpool. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I can tell you he constantly loved us boys. got three brothers. He constantly loved us. He created a home that was incredible. It, it had support. It had all these structures in place that we could grow up and that we could be confident as adults and be secure as adults. He protected us. He modelled what a healthy marriage looked like. And I knew I could trust him. He gained my trust. He earned my trust. But I knew above anything else I could trust this man. He was incredible. But my heavenly father trumps my earthly dad a hundred times. He makes my dad look tiny. (laughs) And he was awesome. The reality is our father is all that and more. And more. And he adores you. He adores you. He burns for you. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you were doing before you got here, what you may go home and do later on. His love just keeps coming and coming and coming. And it'll wear down every wall that you try and put up. It'll wear down everything you try and block to defend. Why? Because he wants to be in the most intimate relationship with you and I. Not just for now, but for the future. And I want to encourage you today that he wants to get to know you like you've never known him. Come with me to Ephesians. and I'm just going to read a couple of passages and scriptures. Ephesians 1 verses 15. And I'm going to look at 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 3. Because I believe there's an incredible correlation between these two passages. We can find some key nuggets in here. I believe today, and I love what Dave McCracken said last week, that the Holy Spirit has something for everyone here. The Holy Spirit has a nugget for every single person here today. There's something he wants to say to you that's different from the person beside you. And so I want to encourage you to, to listen and hear what he wants to say to you. Ephesians 1.15 For this reason I too, this is Paul, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, 
while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Say you want a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Gee, that was with conviction. <laughs> Say it again while I grab a hanky. I want a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I'm a bit of a smooth communicator, aren't I? Eh? <laughs> Wipe me nose while I speak to you. A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Say the knowledge of Him. Not just knowing about Him intellectually, but having Him revealed to you in the Spirit. A knowledge of Him. I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know, that word again, what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart, your heart has eyes, you see, not just physically from these eyes, but sight comes from the heart to see, to receive revelation. When it says in Proverbs 29, it says, you know, that without a vision, my people would perish. Without sight, without a revelation, without a prophetic revelation of sight, my people wander around. And Paul here is praying for this church. He's saying, I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon you that you would be able to see in other dimensions that I'm seeing. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, lifted. If you think of that word enlightened, it means you know, a release of something, their light to see things, light comes in and our sight comes to see. He's so passionate about this because he has experienced this himself. He's not just talking from theory. He's saying, I understand. The reason I'm praying for the Ephesians is because I understand this happened to me. As I was travelling on a road to Damascus, I had an encounter with the Christ and the eyes of my heart were enlightened to the truth. I saw him at a much greater level than what I ever knew him before. In fact, he was, if you know anything about this, he was trying to kill Christians. And so he actually has this encounter and he's praying the encounter he has will happen for the Ephesian church. And I pray today the prayer for this Ephesian church would be our prayer. That the eyes of our hearts would be lifted to see him, to know him. That we would know him at a much greater depth than what we do right now. Come with me now to um, 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. And then verse 1. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 1 to 3. He says this, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. <laughs> I love the way he starts some of his letters. 
He said, I'm about to tell you some things and I wish that you'd bear with me in my little foolishness. But indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband. That word betrothed means to join, to fit, to join to oneself. So that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Now verse 3 is incredible. But I am afraid that as the serpent deserved Eve in his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That your minds will be led astray from the simplicity, the purity of a devotion to the one we follow. You see, it's way harder to just do a whole lot of things than to be devoted to the one we're supposed to be following. There's something about us, especially men, that we just want to go do things. We don't like coming and sitting and being in places like this maybe for too long because we're wired to do things. And that's right, we are. But we have to realise and understand that there's something that God is trying to get through to us through this passage that Paul is saying, I am afraid that you guys have been deceived, that the enemy has your mind so wrapped up because the battlefield is of the mind, that you've left your first love, that we've wandered off from maybe knowing him, and now we are doing maybe a whole lot of things that could be right, but now there's incredible distance between the doing and the one that calls us to do. Listen to what the word simplicity means. Singleness, Simplicity, sincerity, mental honesty, the virtue of one who is free from pretense and hypocrisy. So my question is, why is, so, why is Paul so concerned? Why is he so concerned? When you think about he uses this word devotion. Why is he so consumed and concerned that we would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of our devotion to the Christ? Because there are so many things that vie for that number one spot in our lives. Starting with self. And he is genuinely concerned Now, and I think he would be today too, that maybe this knowing the Father, the intimacy with the Father, level of this relationship that God came to have, we've possibly drifted away from that. Listen to this, because it's the intimacy of relationship with our Father where we discover who he is, who we are, and then the role he has for us as sons slash daughters. It's only through knowing him that you know who you are. You can have a rough idea, you can even read about it, but not fully get the full revelation of it. Because there's something about knowing him, not knowing about him, but knowing him that brings wisdom 
and revelation. Whoever wins the battlefield of the mind wins the battle. The enemy knows if he can deceive you and me, keeping us busy for busy's sake, then we will never get to develop this devoted relationship with the Father where you discover who he is, who you are, and the role he has for you. One of the key ploys of the enemy is to get you doing things that Jesus never asked you to do, no matter how good you might think they may be. We're going to look at a passage where a whole lot of people said, I prophesy in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And he goes, I never knew you. Isn't that a scary thought? Mary and Martha is a beautiful picture where Martha goes, and I've said this before, she goes and makes sandwiches and Jesus never ordered the sandwiches. She's off making lunch. She's doing a whole lot of things. And Jesus says, come and sit at my feet where her sister is because her sister can hear. Her sister is in intimacy. But Martha is consumed with anxiousness. It's not the fact that she's busy making lunch. It's the fact that she's anxious. Jesus says, you worry about many things. Why? Because she doesn't know the Father. There's something about knowing the Father intimately that actually takes away anxiousness and worry. Why? Because you can trust Him. Because you know Him. If we don't know Him intimately then a whole lot of these other things can get in the way and we start worrying about things and Jesus says, what are you worrying about? Why worry another day about that? Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything. And I hope today, I pray today, that not just today, but as we go forward, that you would seek him more. If you struggle with worry, if you struggle with anxiousness, this is not to condemn at all. I want to encourage you to seek him. Seek him, a revelation of him, a depth of knowing him. Because in that moment something happens, faith is dropped into your spirit and all of a sudden, you know what, those things those things don't have a hold of you anymore but there is a fight and there is a battle and that's probably that word I got before is there are some people here today that need to push through. It doesn't just all happen like that. It doesn't just all happen on a plate. God's not into just delivering a fast food meal to you like that within two seconds. Sometimes he goes wham and something's happened. But most things he wants to walk you through. So we need to know him to walk through and hold on to him. What did we look at before in Psalms? You are my stronghold. You are my fortress. David knew the Father. And because he knew the Father, he could write songs about the Father. Because he knew the Father, he could go through what he went through, incredible persecution, to fulfill the purpose that God has for his life. He knew him intimately. You say, Greg, why would the enemy deceive us into doing this? Because he knows if he can get the church, which is you and me, doing things from any other place than intimacy with the Father, where we hear the Father's voice and are obedient to this, like Jesus was, then our efforts will be fruitless, powerless, ineffective, and we will end up being frustrated and give up. And we won't finish the race and receive our inheritance because everything we do is in our strength. 
And I relate to that big time. I would say for probably without realising, I've been in ministry now since 2003, probably since the last year I was doing a lot of things in my strength. Getting frustrated, it wasn't happening, trying to make things happen. I was having, I would have about six meetings, sometimes a day, trying to build life groups, trying to get people, we've got to do this thing, we've got to do this thing. God, you put this thing in my heart, but man, this doesn't feel light and easy, feels quite heavy, but anyway, I'm going to push through for you because this is what you want me to do and I know you want me to do and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, God was sitting there going, well, I'll give them 10 out of 10 for persistence. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> you know, his heart, his passion's there. But as I came into a greater understanding of my father and how the father builds the church, and I could see that because you see it in the spirit. You don't see you see it. It's like I can't quite explain to you how you see it. You just see it. God reveals it. It's like he peels back a, 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 an onion layer and it's like, whoa, <laughs> put that there. <laughs> You've been walking past it for the last seven years. <laughs> Consume with doing this my way, it's my way, not realizing it, okay, my And all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, twelve months ago, five months ago, it was almost like God just peeled back another layer. And all of a sudden this thing became lighter. I thought, I'm living in that truth. It ain't just a nice bit of words on the page, it's actually my reality. It was like a sense, I don't know how to explain it, it was almost like I'd lost weight. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm... <laughs> know how those people feel on that telly, those big people that are passionate about losing weight. I mean, it was so exhilarating. You see them, they're like, this is who I was, now look at me. Going to float away with the angels or something, you know? Why? Because my depth of knowing him just increased. So I have another question. What do we think God is trying to communicate with us in Matthew 7.23 when he says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, cast out demons, perform miracles? And God will say, I never knew you. Why is that in there? What's the Father trying to show us? Let's take Matthew 25 verse 12 with the parable of the virgins where five virgins say, Lord, Lord, open up for us and let us into the wedding ceremony. And God says, I do not know you. See, we have to understand that God's love is long-suffering but it's also a disciplining kind of love. As a father... My heart for my children is one of long-suffering but it also has a discipline element to it because my children need discipline to walk the plumb line of living a, a, what I call an accurate life, a healthy life. Does that make sense? We know as parents, if, you just let, if I let my children do whatever they want, they would kill themselves. And God puts these things in his word for us to help straighten us up. Because left to our own devices, we could actually walk lopsided. 
and end up and come to a day when we actually physically hear these words. And so God intentionally puts things in his word to help us be all we can be, to help us fulfill who we are called to be. It's not this... It's not an element of God which is punishment. No, it's a discipline. The Bible says he disciplines those he loves. He reproves those he loves. Why? Because he wants the best for us. And sometimes the best for us is to discipline us. That certainly has been my experience. That's why sometimes you know, pain is the greatest motivator for change. Because left to our own devices, I know probably I wouldn't even be speaking to you today. If I hadn't gone through what I went through and the pain I screamed out because of the nature that lives within me, the iniquity that's in me, that fallen nature that wants to be God, that wants to set my life on my throne and decide what my life looks like. And so God puts these things in his word to help us in our journey with him. I hope am I making sense if I'm not. Email me, call me. But he is the ultimate father. And you'll know what I'm talking about this if you are a parent. If you let your children just do whatever they want without no, they will run right and they'll probably kill themselves. I said this to the young guys. I'm not giving my daughter the keys to our car at the age of 17 or 20 if she's still living like a five-year-old. Why? Because she would kill herself and others in the process. Listen to this. The word new in Matthew 7, 23 is the Greek word gnosko, which means to learn to know, come to know, get a knowledge of, perceive, feel. It's a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. It's intimacy. We never were intimate. I want you to be intimate with me, Greg. I want you to spend time with me, not even just running off and doing all these things. You see, when God came down into the garden and Adam and Eve had partook of the tree of good and evil, separated from the Father, what was the Father's response? Did he preach to them and say, you know what, you need to repent, you useless people? Did he say you now have sin in your life and you need to repent and get right with me? No. He said, where are you? Where are you? Oh, God didn't see that one coming, did he? He didn't know that it happened. I mean, Adam's trying to hide behind some tree. God knows everything that's going to happen has happened and his response is what? Love. His response is love. They're still they're separate. They're just, they're just they're naked. They go, we're naked, let's hide. But his response is love. To know us intimately. I think that is a beautiful picture of God's father heart. He's been so painted in such a wrong image in so many people's lives that he's this dictator, this man with a big stick who wants to beat the living daylights out of you till you live right. Never about any of that stuff. You know what? It's not about the law. It's not about grace. It's about knowing him. All those things are in place that we know him. All those things are there to lead us to him. And he is so worthy to be known. 
The word know in Matthew 25.12 is the Greek word I do, which means to see, to perceive with the eyes, to perceive by any of the senses, to perceive, notice, discern, discover. Now both these passages are not talking about the place heaven. They are not talking about the place heaven, but they are referring to our future where some followers will not receive what others will because they didn't develop an intimacy of relationship with the Father where they know him intimately from experiencing him, who were obedient to his voice, fulfilling his will while they were here on earth. This may be new for some of us today because somehow we've not maybe preached this. I knew this has been part of my journey. I've never heard that preach what I just said from a pulpit. It's in the Word of God though. Listen to what John 15.4 says. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. The word abide means to continue to be present. I'm going to read that again. Abide in me as I am in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, So often we think fruit is just doing a whole lot of things. Proper fruit, I believe, has two arms to it. It has an internal element, fruit of the Spirit, where we are being transformed into the likeness of the Father. Love, joy, patience, kindness, self-control emanates from you. And the other fruit is Spirit-led works, where you hear through intimacy, obedient. The Father says, go speak to that person on the other side of the road and give them $10 and see what happens. That is fruit that this is talking about. Fruit is not just, you know what, I had a good idea. I had a good idea. I think this is how it should be done. And now I and my strength made it happen. That is not abiding in the vine. That is just your will being outweighed, maybe because of a motivation of our hearts. See, this thought has been going around in my head lately is, what is the motivation, Greg, of your heart in serving me? What is the motivation? Is it that people would know me more through encountering you? Or are you serving because you need affirmation? Are you serving because, you know, you are in a leadership role anywhere else, so you think I'll come and do it inside God's house and somehow in that I'm I'm finding security. Because if we don't do what we do out of love first and foremost and leading people to knowing him, then I'd probably say it's a lot of us in that process, which he doesn't want us. But this says that we must divide and we cannot, cannot bear fruit of itself unless we're hearing from him. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because it's just so easy just to go off and do a whole lot of things and go, hey, I'm a good Christian. Look what I did. 
But man, I don't want to be a person that goes and hears those words. You know, Lord, Lord, I did this, I did this. Didn't you see me? Didn't you see me preach there at the rock? Man, wasn't I sharp? Wasn't that message just... Look at my mansion. Look at, look at my, look at my, God, look at my 5,000 people in my auditorium. Don't they look cool? They're singing all the songs. They're looking all good. And man, we're sharp. We've got it happening. And the Father goes, none of that was in me. That was your will outlaying itself because of whatever was in you. You're still saved by my grace. You're in. But this is what I have for people who have walked in the accuracy that I'm calling to. Jesus could do nothing unless his Father told him, empowered him to do it. Nothing. And he was a man while he was on earth which just shows us the divine order in which the church must function. He was so intentional. It's not just, oh, well, give it a go, Jack. See how we go. God is intentional about everything he does, and we must be too. Who still loves me? <laughs> See, I have this other question. I just, as I'm preparing messages, all these questions start coming. I thought, how many of us here have children today? Quite a few of them. I have two. They're awesome. They are awesome kids. How many of us had children so they could just do a whole lot of things for us? <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> I love your honesty, though. <laughs> we get on well. I have two beautiful little girls and Danielle and I did not create them because in my head I thought, you know what? They're going to do the dishes, they're going to make the bed, they're going to be professional golf players, maybe soccer players because, you know, girls and football, they still can't but, but golf, golf is better and they're going to look out and why did I create them? Why did we create them, sorry? For intimacy for them to enjoy our lives and for us to enjoy their lives. For us to be together, experiencing life, experiencing the joys of life and the hurts of life. And sure, there'll be some things that being part of the Simnor family means that there's some roles or responsibilities that they're going to partake of and as they grow they're going to do some other things, but I didn't just, we didn't just create them for the sake of doing stuff. And, you know, we really have to capture this. Leaders have to capture this. People that lead communities really have to capture this. Because I know that it's just so easy to get people and you can think that about people just doing this thing is what it's about primarily. But it's not. Are we called to do works? Yes, Ephesians 2.10 teaches us that God has works for us to do that we don't even know about yet. That's what I loved about what Alice shared. The, the chat that was speaking was preaching about dreams. What is it that God's putting on your heart that you can influence and bring Him to people? I've got way more, but I think um, I think I've said it. Listen to this. I'm just going to read this out real fast. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we develop this intimacy with the Father? It's twofold. One, 
because our place in the bride and the thousand year reign with Christ will depend upon it and two, because everything and I mean everything hinges on this core or central purpose of knowing the Father. Our ability to love him will be determined by our depth of knowing him. Our ability to love others will be determined by the depth of knowing him. Our ability to trust him will be determined by the depth of knowing him. Our ability to comprehend who we are in him will be determined by the depth of knowing him. Our ability to choose his will over my own will will be determined by knowing him. And our ability to overcome the obstacles we face will be determined by knowing him. Jesus knew who he was because he knew his Father. And our ability to live a lifestyle that Jesus modelled for us and live this out 24-7. Because he just doesn't want you reaching out to non-Christians one-off, once a year, when the church puts something on. He wants us living a lifestyle of reaching out. He wants a lifestyle of praise. He wants a lifestyle of worship. He wants a lifestyle of prayer. He wants a lifestyle of serving. He is the goal, isn't he? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate the Christ. Think about that. Paul's saying to you and me, imitate him. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, that's a big call. But he had everything we had. Imitate me as I imitate the Christ. 24-7. Doing these things that I mentioned on my start of my list will be determined by the revelation we have of the Father. That's why Matthew 16-18 to says, On the revelation of this rock, the Christ, I will build my church. Everything is Position on the revelation of the Christ. The depth I know the Christ. The love of Christ. How deep, how wide is this thing? And this is a three-part message and so next week I'm going to be talking about how to receive a greater... How, do you, how can you place yourself in a position because that's all you can do to receive because you can't go and get your own revelation. <laughs> It'd be easy if you could. You take this blue pill, everything changes. That'll be the third week. Next week, I want to talk about the Father I know. Not that Father, but the Father. Two paragraphs, then that is it. Okay? I love what someone said once when a preacher says he's closing, it's just an excuse to talk for another 15 minutes. So often as leaders, and I have been guilty of this, and we can have a tendency to use this passage Where there is no vision, the people will be unrestrained to build the vision of the house. And we come up with this all-inspiring vision statement to get God's people doing things. And I'm not saying this is wrong, and we are called to do works, but I do wonder what it would look like if every senior leader's goal was to lead people into the vision revelation of knowing the Father. Because I can't help but believe if this was the case, the vision of the house would take care of itself. 
As the leader of this community, I don't want to lead you into doing a whole lot of things because that's what we think Christians should do. I want to lead you into discovering an incredible relationship with the Father where you come alive every step of the way discovering what God has for you to do because you can hear his voice and you come into the full purpose that God has for you as an individual and as for us as a community. That's my heart for you today. Lord, I just um, I want to thank you for these great people. I want to thank you, Lord, that no one is here by accident. No one just stumbled across the rock. They may have think they have. They may have got on their car, looked open a paper, or got onto the yellow pages, wherever. But God, they are here for a purpose, your purpose. And Lord, I know you are building a new wineskin here. I know, God, there is truth that you want communicated to these great people that we would come into the fullness of knowing you not just knowing about you but intimately and we journey together as a community we are one where we carry one another we love one another we serve one another to receive the fullness of what you have for us as individuals and as a community and God I pray today with everything I can muster Lord that your spirit would be peeling back and revealing a depth of understanding wherever we're at on this journey, that we would receive that today, because I know your Holy Spirit wants to speak something to every person. You love us with a passion. You love everybody the same. We are all the same. So Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for today, and thank you for the incredible Father that you are to us. May we love you back with the same passion you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.